Our reading today <clears throat> comes from 2 Kings in the sixth chapter. Once when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he took counsel with his officers. He said, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, take care not to pass by that place because the Arameans are going down there. The king of Israel sent word to the place of which the man of God spoke. More than once or twice he warned such a place so that it was on the alert. The mind of the king of Aram was greatly perturbed because of this. He called his officers and said to them, Now tell me who among us sides with the king of Israel. Then one of his officers said, No one, no one, my lord king. It is Elisha, the prophet in Israel, who tells the king of Israel the words that you speak even in your bedchamber. He said, Go and find where he is. I will send and seize him. He was told he is in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots there and a great army that came by night and surrounded the city. When an attendant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. His servant said, Alas, master, what shall we do? He replied, Do not be afraid, for there are more with us than there are with them. Then Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he saw. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the Arameans came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, please with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the one whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they may see. The Lord opened their eyes and they saw that they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel said to them, saw them, he said to Elisha, Father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? He answered, No. Did you capture them with your sword and your bow, those whom you want to kill? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink, and let them go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. After they ate and drank, he sent them on their way, and they went to their master. And the Arameans no longer came raiding into the land of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. When I was told that you were preaching this summer on what is left out of the lectionary, I was pretty excited. And when I read this lesson from 2 Kings, I was really excited. Who would pass up the opportunity to preach on this great little story in 2 Kings. Why, this is the stuff of campfire lore. Imagine sitting around the campfire and hearing that story, or, or bedtime telling stories. 
Imagine sitting in bed while your elders told you that story. Tell us the story of Elisha and the army he captured from Aram. Elisha, heir to the mantle and double portion of Elijah. Elisha, healer of lepers like Naaman and resuscitator of dead children like the son of the widow from Nan. Why, just prior to this story, you can look it up, Elisha causes an axe head to float to the top of the river. Tell us a story about Elisha. Well, I think I will. Once upon a time, Aram, not to be confused with maybe a place like Iran, was at war with Israel, not to be confused with maybe a land like America. For today's story, we learned that every time the Aram king plans an attack, the Israel king manages to find out. More than once or twice, Scripture tells us. Clearly, this is not an accident. There is someone who knows what Aram king is planning, and that someone is Elisha. Every time, every single time Aram king plans an attack, Elisha tips off Israel king, who moves his soldiers into place and handles it. Aram king thinks he has a traitor in his midst, but oh, it's way better than that. Elisha is just sitting in the comfort of his own tent. Without ever setting foot in the territory of Aram, he knows exactly what Aram king is about to do. Maybe a little ESP or Maybe he's a fortune teller. Aram King is understandably outraged. Go and find out where he is and I will seize him, he declares. And they go, friends, they go with a mighty force in the dark of night to surround little Dotan where Elisha has pitched his tent. Oh, it's such a show of bluster and force. It's like launching the most powerful non-nuclear warhead in the world against a tiny mountain in Afghanistan. Who does that? But needless to say, the folks with Elisha are overwhelmed by this show of power. Game over. They'll crush us. Nice knowing you. Now we're all going to die. Good job leading us to this nowhere place. But like Elisha can see where Aram king plans to send his army, Elisha can see there are greater forces at work in the world, greater forces that everybody can't see, the forces of the Lord. Elisha says, please open his eyes that he may see. Elisha asks this on behalf of his aide, and lo and behold, his aide's eyes are opened, and he sees who really has the upper hand. The mountain was full of horses and chariots, all surrounding and protecting Elisha. Now we'll see who has the biggest non-nuclear warhead. I'm sure those who were gathered with Elisha were gleeful about the impending route, especially since they had thought just moments ago things were going to go the other way. But all Elisha does with all this power is ask the Lord to make them blind. 
a blinding light, not a bomb. Aram and Israel have been at this for a while, this back and forth, these skirmishes, these little, little battles. We don't know who the kings are in this story. The names have been intentionally omitted because the story is not about them. The story is about all the rulers and all the people who get used to conflict. The story is about people who expect retaliation in the face of aggression. The story is about people who believe the one with the biggest stick will eventually beat up the rest of us. And friends, that pretty much sums up most rulers and their people during most periods of history. So these kings can take on the names and faces of whoever fits the mold when the story is told. It can be about leaders who use the playbook, if we get hit, we'll hit back harder, we'll show them who's stronger. It can be about leaders who don't even wait to get hit first, who say, we'll hit first, and we'll send the message to all who are watching us that we will always be able to hit the hardest. We even have a name for that one. We call it preemptive strike. The story is about people who are used to preemptive strikes and retaliation. It's a story about people who can't use their imagination, who can't think creatively to navigate conflict. It's a story about people who can't see the real force at work in the world because they are hostage to what confronts them in the immediate moment. Elisha's aide stepped out of his tent and saw them surrounded by enemy forces, so many horses and chariots that he was already speed-dialing his family to say his final goodbyes. Alas, alas, what shall we do? You can hear the frustration and perhaps amusement in Elisha's voice when he prays, Oh, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Show him what's really going on here. Show him that a preemptive strike doesn't have to be our first move. Show him we don't even have to fight back. Once the Aram army is blinded by the light, it's pretty easy for Elisha to do whatever he wants to do with them. He could march them to the edge of a cliff and let them just fall off. But instead, he takes them to Israel King. Of course, they have no sense of direction being blind like they are, but they must know Elisha is not taking them home by another road. Imagine their resignation when they regain their sight only to see that they're deep in the heart of enemy territory face to face with the opposition. Why, even if Aram king had any army left, he couldn't rescue these folks before Israel king massacres them in place. They know the cavalry is not coming. Israel king, of course, is licking his chops or sharpening his sword because he has no imagination either. He's been plagued by these ambushes and skirmishes with Aram King for years, and now it's his turn to hit back, to send a message, something like, if you're not with us, you're against us, or overwhelming will mean obliteration. 
or my personal favorite, it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. Elisha's aide sees himself surrounded by the enemy, and he expects to die. Elisha's king sees himself surrounding his enemy, and he expects to kill them. Can't we think of something different than perpetuating the same old cycle of get hit and hit back harder? What happens when we're not the strong ones anymore and we can't hit harder than we were hit? Seems to me it would make sense for the strong ones to be the ones that say, we're not going to hit you anymore. We're not going to hit you first, certainly, but even more so, we're not going to hit you back. No more of this. No more of this. Now, you think I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. The followers of Jesus have known where Jesus stands on violence since that night in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, no more of this. And if they thought he was a dreamer, those doubts were put to rest when Mary came back to the house Sunday morning and announced, I have seen the Lord. Even if those disciples <clears throat> had spent the past two days wishing they had fought that losing battle, lamenting their dishonor at running away. I wouldn't have run away if you hadn't run away, but you ran away and I couldn't stay there by myself. And, and saying to themselves, we should have stayed, we should have done more, we probably could have fought back. Even if they had spent the last two days lamenting all of those things, Mary's Sunday morning news coupled with the experiences they will have for the next 50 days tell a completely different story. They tell the story of God's imagination. Imagine if the followers of Jesus had missed the chance to tell that story because they had decided to fight back and wound up fertilizing the ground in Gethsemane with their blood. They didn't fight back because they were afraid, not because they had any imagination. If they'd had enough swords hidden under those cloaks and if they knew anything more about fighting than fishing, they probably would have gone down in a blaze of glory. They would have been quickly forgotten by history because there are so many stories of people with no imagination who only know how to fight and kill and get killed in the process. Everybody can't be Braveheart. Most of the others end up in unmarked graves. Lucky for those followers that night, they didn't have the numbers to fight back, and they weren't brave, so they ran away. Chances are, if they had stayed, no one would have arrested them anyway. They simply weren't important. But the one who was important, the one who had the upper hand didn't fight back either. That's the real story. Even if we know we will win, the message is no more of this. Here is Elisha standing before Israel king with Aram king's 
Revolutionary Guard. Why get rid of those folks and you've cut out the heart of the opposition. Sure, there may be some renegades out there, some resistance fighters that will always flit about like gnats bothering us on a summer night, but, but there won't be any real opposition left. Take out this group, and it sends a message that echoes beyond the halls of power in Aram. It sends a message that everybody will know we are great again. Clearly, that is Israel King's plan. But refreshingly, this nation state doesn't appear to have an imperial ruler. Elisha has the last word. The one who can only imagine violence heaped on violence as the resolution to his problems, the solution to his problems doesn't get to solve the problem. The solution comes from Elisha, who matter-of-factly reminds Israel King, I brought them here, not you. Elisha tells the king, bring them food and water. Bring them food and water. There are strict rules in Israel about how to treat a guest, traveler, sojourner, foreigner, immigrant, refugee. Strict rules, starting with the imperative, give them something to eat. Do you see what just happened here? So-called hostile forces surrounded a little knoll in the borderlands of Israel. And without lifting a hand, Elisha delivers them to the country's leader and then invokes article whatever of the holiness code. Welcome the stranger, for you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. Those hostile forces just went from being a threat to being a guest. Now that takes some imagination, friends. But if we only know one definition of power, we generally can only offer one response. We need imagination. We need more creative definitions of power. And we need these creative definitions not just in the face of the obvious, the trade wars with China or the drone duels with Iran, Lord knows we need it in those places, but what about our places? What about the places every day where we live and move and have our being? Every day we wield some kind of power and we absorb other kinds of power. Little things that you might not think about where we throw our trash and what we throw in the trash is an exercise of power. What we set our thermostat on is an exercise of power. Who we choose to send to jail or to bail out is an exercise of power. How we spend our money, of course, is an exercise of power. When we fight back or when we declare no more of this, is an exercise of power. 
In addition to that pithy little phrase Jesus offered us in the garden, when they came out with swords and clubs to arrest him, he also said on another occasion, the one to whom much is given, much will be required. Well, Elisha had it all. He had the enemy in the palm of his hand, and he delivered this enemy to the nation's ruler. That is quite a lot of power to be given. And with all that power, Elisha transformed his enemy into his guest. And then he sent them home. Those with no imagination might expect them to go home and redouble their efforts, plan a new attack that won't fail this time. But the story tells us they went to their master and the Arameans no longer came raiding into the land of Israel. In other words, they lived happily ever after. And that's no fairy tale. Thanks be to God. Amen.